Welcome back to Seminary and Casual Podcast. My name is Eric Tamney. And I'm Aaron Lynch. And we're pleased to say that we're here with Archbishop Shapu today. Uh, we were privileged to uh, be given the permission to interview him on his new successor, the new successor of the Apostles here in Philadelphia, Archbishop-elect Nelson Perez. Welcome to the show, Archbishop. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be with you. So, one year prior uh, to then Father Nelson Perez's ordination to the Diocese of Rockville Center, you became the Archbishop of Philadelphia. Uh, do you remember meeting Father Perez uh, and, and what your first impression was? Uh, yes, I remember very well meeting him. Uh, he was a very uh, active and significant pastor at St. Agnes Parish here and uh, was very popular. Uh, also, it's important to mention of the church these days for the, for us to have a special outreach to Latinos who sp speak Spanish. And I mm -hmm. inquired when I got here uh, about the ministry to Spanish-speaking people, and I heard about Bishop uh, Nelson Perez um, and his work with the Hispanic community for many, many years, uh, long before I got here in Philadelphia. Also, I was looking for uh, a Spanish-speaking auxiliary even already at that time, and he seemed to be a good candidate for that. Uh, but before we, I had a chance to um, get him here in Philadelphia, the Holy See chose him to be the uh, auxiliary bishop in Rockville Center. So, and he invited me, because I was his ordinary here in Philadelphia, to be part of the ordaining uh, community of bishops up in uh, New York. So I traveled to, to Rockville Center and was one of the three bishops that they call them principal um, consecrators of uh, the new bishop. And he and I have been very good friends uh, since then. You know, he's been uh, uh, extraordinarily attentive uh, to, to me. Um, and uh, we've developed a friendship that's been very warm and supportive both directions. And I'm, I'm delighted, of course, that he was appointed by the Holy Father to be our new archbishop here in Philadelphia. So then that, that brings me to my next question. Um, what role, if any, does, uh, does a bishop have in kind of the, the, the selection of his successor? Does he make recommendations or? We, the process in, involves the, the local church in a very intense kind of way. Uh, last May or June, I traveled to Washington, D.C. to meet with the nuncio, Archbishop uh, Christophe Pierre, to talk to him about the transition because I knew my uh, 75th birthday was coming up in September and I wanted to tell him what I thought should happen in terms of the process. Um, you know, Philadelphia is a very important church. It's a, a church that's very big and complicated. We're in the process of making significant changes for the life of the church here. And I didn't want um, my um, retirement to be prolonged in a way that would keep decisions from being made. So I went to see him and in the course of our conversation, we talked about the needs of the church here, but also I spoke about some possible candidates um, uh, who could take my place. Uh, I submitted my letter of retirement in August because I wanted to get a head start. <laughs> you know, I thought every even a, a month ahead counts, and uh, I had to ask the nuncio to make sure the process went as quickly as possible. He was very supportive and helpful, and uh, so I submitted that letter in August. My birthday arrived in September. I received an answer probably in October, early October, okay. that the Holy Father would respect my request and that I would be retired as soon as my replacement was named. And once that happens, then the, the formal process begins where the, the Holy See, by 
by the hands of the nuncio, sends the local bishop two requests, one for a description of the needs of the diocese and what kind of persons uh, needed to be, to be the next uh, archbishop, and then also a request for suggestions, and then also a request for other people who should be consulted. And so the nuncio receives all that information in Washington and gathers it together, sends out many more questionnaires to all the people that I suggested, but also the people that the people I suggested suggested. So it's, it's really a huge number. And then eventually he submitted a, a turna, which is a list of three names to the Congregation for Bishops in Rome. And uh, from that uh, list, if it's approved by the Congregation of Bishops, the Holy Father makes a decision about who should serve as the, the Archbishop. So it happened very quickly, and I was very happy with that speed. Uh, so you've been living here at the seminary uh, since the Archbishop's residence uh, was sold to St. Joseph's University. I think it and was 2012. I think 2012, wow. Yeah. And uh, I know that uh, Archbishop-elect Perez intends to come here for a while. Do you have any advice to him about uh, living among seminarians, living in the seminary? No, you know, I have no advice for him about that. I think he um, has had that experience mm -hmm. um, himself. He um, came to visit at the time of the announcement of his appointment. And in the course of those days he was here, I showed him where I lived and mm -hmm. the rooms that I occupied here in the faculty residence. And uh, we were, you know, spending quite a bit of time talking about possible options for him before he was named. But once he um, got here and saw where I was living, he immediately made a decision to stay here until the seminary is uh, is emptied to move into the new seminary. Then uh, in, in that those years between now and then, he's going to determine where he wants to live on a more permanent basis. But he wanted to come here. I think he wanted to come here because it's a wonderful facility, but also because it's always a good thing to be close to the seminarians that you're going to ordain as priests. And and this is just a good place to live. Well, that's awesome. Well, I, I know what it's like to live in a seminary from a seminarian's perspective, uh, but what is it like to be living in the seminary from the archbishops? Well, you know, as you know from your personal experience, uh, I'm living in the faculty residence, mm -hmm. and there's as little or as much contact with the seminary as you want here. You know, I um, I go to work while the seminarians are at prayer, and I come back while they're at dinner. So I really don't even see the seminarians every day. Um, mm -hmm. It's wonderful to participate in the major celebrations here, but uh, living here um, in the faculty residence is is not really like living in a seminary because I'm not surrounded by the students every day, or the faculty, um, but it's close enough that it, I get a sense of what the seminary is like. And of course, uh, it's always a joy to see the seminarians, both of Philadelphia and of other dioceses and religious orders that are studying here. I think this is a seminary is a wonderful uh, contribution of the Church of Philadelphia to the broader church community in the United States. And uh, I'm proud of our seminary. I think it's the best seminary in the country. And uh, and we have a faculty that's extraordinary and seminarians to match. So it's, <laughs> a, it's a great joy to stay here. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think the new bishop will um, live at the new seminary because we're not built. No. At least the current plans are not to build a, a residence for the bishop there. Mm -hmm. But it it does work out pretty well. That you know, when I was the Archbishop of Denver, I lived on the grounds of the seminary too, in a separate house, but on the grounds, and it really is a wonderful experience. Cleveland, Ohio, is a far cry from Philadelphia uh, in many ways, um, and I think that there's a lot of differences between the two seas um, and the the people who live who live in them. Um, in what way do you think uh, 
ministry in Cleveland might might differ from ministry in Philadelphia for the new archbishop? I really don't know. I've never lived in Cleveland. But the, the Church of Cleveland is about half the size of the Church of Philadelphia, so that makes it a bit more complicated. I don't know about the territory, how it matches, but in terms of the number of Catholics served, I think the archbishop told me that he has 700,000 people that he serves in in uh, Cleveland, and we have about twice that many here in, in Philadelphia. So there's that difference. Uh, Philadelphia is unique, as you know, since uh, you've been a part of this community even longer than I have. Um, and uh, Cleveland has its own uh, peculiarities and charm and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the new archbishop gets here, you ought to ask him that because he'll be able to tell you better than I how they are different from one another. You know, he lived here as a priest for so many years, so he already knows what Philadelphia's like, and he can make that comparison. What's been your biggest challenge here as the Archbishop of Philadelphia, and do you anticipate um, any of the difficulties that you experienced as Shepherd of Philadelphia um, kind of remaining active focuses of ministry for the new Archbishop? Uh, when I came here uh, eight and a half years ago, the Archdiocese was experiencing a rather severe meltdown. You know, we had... Uh, more than 20 priests on administrative leave because of possible um, sexual abuse or inappropriate violations of boundaries. Um, we had a huge financial problem. The, the CFO of the diocese had been arrested for embezzlement. Mm. And uh, those kind of issues are huge. And they all came at the same time. And there was, a, I think, a huge morale problem because of uh, all of that falling down, on, especially among the priests. So it was a very difficult time. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I think things have gotten a lot better. At least I hope they have. You know, all those issues of sexual abuse have been uh, straightened out. And, uh, you know, I had a horse to to close quite a number of parishes and schools and sell our nursing homes in order to pay off a huge debt of more than $300 million that we had. But that's all basically in place now. And um, I think the Archbishop can use that as a platform for the next stage of the life of the Church of Philadelphia. And that's what the theme that I was... Uh, preaching to the nuncio and to the Holy Father, that we're ready to, to make a fresh start. And you need somebody to be in charge. You can be around for 10 or 15 years for that really to have teeth. Otherwise, people are always tentative about things. So uh, the archbishop is a young man. I think he's 58 years old. So he has a possibility of being here for uh, 18 years or so. And uh, that'll give him a good platform to lead the church into the next stage that God has planned for us. I know you've you've said in the past that you want some younger bishops out there in the world uh, doing good for the church. How do you think his, I mean, his relative youth as a fairly young bishop will help him in the archdiocese? Well, you just have physical energy you don't have when you get older. I was ordained a bishop uh, for the Diocese of Rhapsody when I was 43, and I had a lot of energy. Uh, It was a diocese that was huge in terms of territory. I would drive six hours to confirm three or four people. You know, it was Mm -hmm. was that kind of rural diocese. And as I, as I, th- you know, I was wondering what it'd be like in 30 years when I retired, would I be able to do this kind of driving? And, those, and I kind of dreaded that. I, I got transferred, of course, to dioceses that weren't so big territorially, Denver and then here. But it requires a certain kind of energy that uh, goes with being young. Um, and uh, I think that my best years in terms of creativity were probably between the ages of... Uh, I would say maybe 55 and 65. So I think that's it can be a very creative age. You have a lot of experience that you can build and be creative with. Um, so 
I think it's really going to serve the church well, especially because he can be here for a significant length of time and make plans for in, into the future. As a priest of Philadelphia, um, Bishop Nelson Perez has uh, a unique um, viewpoint and experience. Can you can you guess at any of the ways in which his his sonship of Philadelphia might impact his his ministry? You know, the, what what are the pros and cons in a sense? Well, I would ordinarily not uh, recommend the Holy See appoint a native son mm-hmm. as the bishop of a diocese. Um, that would have been difficult uh, for someone when I came here, you know, to have having lived with all these men and having friends in all these parishes that I had to close or merge um, would have made it much difficult to make a decision because you'd have a lot of personal pressure. Uh, and it's not really common that we have uh, native sons becoming ordinaries of a diocese, although auxiliary bishops, of course, almost always are the ordinary or are the sons of a diocese. Um, Having said that, in Pennsylvania, uh, Diocese of Pittsburgh has a native son. Diocese of Allentown has a native son, <laughs> and the diocese—one uh, more. There's th- three. Allentown. I'm I'm sorry, I, I can't remember the third one. Oh, now it's it's Philadelphia with with Archbishop Nelson. So in the state, we have three native sons. The advantage, of course, is that when I came here, I I didn't know Philadelphia at all. And I couldn't even get around. Uh, Archbishop Nelson knows Philadelphia very, very well. Um, he also has friends already, which are good. Friends are good for support. Um, and uh, you know, the, the blessing is you, you know everything already. The the curse is you know everything already, and <laughs> you, you don't have a, a kind of fresh eyes to look at something more objectively, perhaps. So it's good to have, probably have a mix-up, sometimes have a native son, sometimes have somebody from outside. But when there are difficult, real difficult personnel problems going on in a diocese, I, I would always recommend to the Holy Father, bring somebody in who can, uh, who can take the scars uh, a lot easier than somebody who is already local. Hopefully those, those difficult times have passed and the Archbishop will be able to joyfully make personnel decisions here. Well, speaking of Archbishop Perez's... Uh you know, his history, a lot of the news media has been making a big deal of his cultural heritage, you mm-hmm. know, being a Cuban-American. How do you think, um, you know, his, his cultural heritage and especially his ability to speak Spanish will, will aid him in the archdiocese? Well, it'll certainly uh, not harm him in any way. Everybody, he's a Cuban-American who's as American as any American. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he was conceived in Cuba and born in the United States. Um, but his language ability it makes a huge difference for the Spanish speaking. So he'll make an, a huge difference in terms of a very significant young part of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. That's a, a wonderful gift to the local people. Not only the fact that he speaks language, but he's he, he's already identified by them as one of them, and they, they think that's wonderful. So I think it'll be, a, the, it's, you know, the Hispanic community here is growing. It traditionally has been Puerto Rican uh, more than anything else, but... We have a very significant number of uh, Mexicans here now, and a lot of Caribbean people from uh, and people from Central America. So um, it's just a special gift, and I, I think that uh, we're really being blessed by that particular aspect of the many good qualities of our new Archbishop. I know that the vocations office is hoping for uh, a boost in their numbers from the Hispanic community of young vocations, young men who desire to be priests and hopefully um, taking their lead from 
from Bishop Perez's example. I hope so too, because uh, we really, uh, until just recently, we haven't had a whole lot of diversity in terms of uh, the uh, seminarians of the archdiocese, but we, we see a big change now. I think even in your, your time here in the seminary, yes. significant number of Asians and uh, Africans, as well as uh, Latinos. So, uh, you know, the Neocatechumenal Seminary immediately brought a huge number of, of Latinos into the life of our local church. We're grateful for that as well. So your retirement has been accepted, and yes. it's certainly been well-deserved with um, roughly 50 years as a priest. Is that right? I'll be 50 years ordained a priest in August. And, um, and more than 30 years as a bishop? Almost 32 years as a bishop, yes. And so there's, there's certainly um, no one who will say that you haven't earned this, this retirement. Well, you know, this people point. tell me that all the time I deserve it. I, don't, I, mean, I guess we all deserve to be retired. I mean, it just happens when you get old. You know? So I don't know if there's any virtue that leads to being retired, except that you've managed to live past the age of 75 when it comes to clergy. That's right. Well, uh, 70 or 80 for those who are strong. So you're <laughs> yeah. heading towards the strong part there. That was, of course, uh, inspired by God in, in, in the scriptures mm-hmm. when people didn't live past 40 very much in those days. So I think now if, if the Lord were inspiring someone to, to speak his word about that, it would be 90 and 100, you know. Yes, yeah, maybe. Um, what, do you, what do you envision for this this new leg of your vocational I don't, journey? I don't know yet. I, I kind of refuse to envision it because... <laughs> People have been asking me, you know, what am I going to do? And I keep saying, I don't know yet. I'm going to wait till I retire. I'm going to take a significant amount of time. I I said three months, but I may be six months where I'm not going to accept um, commitments in order to to rest a bit, but also to determine what I really want to do. Since since the general announcement of my retirement last summer when people started talking about it, I've received about 50 invitations to give talks. (laughs) And give retreats, and I've been offered five jobs, full-time jobs. Oh, my goodness. Um, and people want to keep me busy, and I want to retire. So I'm going to really retire. And then uh, after, you know, the kind of natural boredom that sits in without having something in your schedule, I'll be able to more rationally make a decision. If I had to do it right now, I probably would say I'm not going to do more than five or six talks a year outside the archdiocese. What I want to do is confirmations and Hopefully I'll get a weekend parish that I can go to and hear confessions and celebrate Mass. But I don't want to work like uh, I have been. I've had a calendar that's been full a year in advance for 30 years now. Wow. And I just don't want to live that way anymore. You know, I'm just looking for a bit more spontaneity in my life, a bit more time with friends and family. And I still want to work and and preach the gospel, but not having the pressure that a bishop typically would have. Certainly we as seminarians um, are are edified by your desire to stay within the Archdiocese of Philadelphia after you retire. Um, I know that it's not always the case, particularly for bishops who were religious and uh, part of the religious communities. They they, uh, frequently will return to one of their houses um, and and live there among among the friars and, and priests there. Um, so it's certainly inspiring from our perspective to see you taking seriously your commitment to Philadelphia. Can you can you talk to us just a little bit well, about... Well, you know, uh, I'd like to talk about it canonically. When when uh, one is ordained a priest, one is incarnated. The word means uh, located or assigned to a place in the church. And you can only have one 
place that you're assigned to. You can't have multiple incarnations. So when I was a Capuchin, I was ordained a priest into the Capuchin province of Mid-America, which meant I was incarnated into the Capuchin branch that was serving in the central part of the United States. But when I was made a bishop, I became a Dawson priest. You become the chief priest of a diocese. And the Holy Father changed my incarnation to Rapid City. And if I had uh, stayed there for 32 years, I would be the retired bishop of Rapid City. But I got changed. I got transferred to Denver. Uh, 14 years, I was the archbishop there. Uh, and I was incarnated there. And then, But then when the Holy Father moved me to Philadelphia, I became a priest of Philadelphia. So I'm a priest of Philadelphia. I, if I went back to the Capuchins, I would be there as a guest, as a priest of Philadelphia who was living with them. Or, under unusual circumstances, you can ask the Pope to re reincarnate you into the religious order, but the order has a vote to accept you too. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, so I decided that uh, since I am a bishop, it probably would be best for me to remain a, a bishop and not go back to religious life. And um, since I'm incarnated here, I'm a priest of Philadelphia, so I'm staying home is what I'm doing. And uh, so there's nothing to be edified about this. I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm just doing what I'm required to do by obedience to the church. You know, I'm a, I owe obedience and respect to who? To the new archbishop. Not yet. I still have a few days, you know, <laughs> when we're recording this. But uh, just like you, when you're ordained, I will have obedience and respect, do your obedience and respect to Archbishop Nelson Paris. Well, that's very edifying to hear. So uh, it has been roughly 30 years since you've been kind of ob obedient to anyone besides the Holy Father. That's right. Thirty-two um, <laughs> years almost. Uh, what do you What do you think that will be like? Is that... I don't know. I think it could be a difficult thing. I, you know, I I have a great love and reverence, respect already for our new Archbishop. But you know, not being in charge after being in charge for so many years can be a difficult transition. I was also provincial of the Capuchins for two terms before I became a bishop. So since I was. 37 years old, I've been in charge, and here I am at 75, and and as soon as the, uh, I entered the cathedral on the 18th of February and uh, introduced the nuncio, and he reads a letter of appointment, I moved from having every say about everything to having say about nothing, and it'll be interesting to see how I react to that. I think I'm going to like it, but it may be more difficult than I think, so pray that I, I do a good job of adjusting to the requirements of being a retired bishop, keeping my mouth shut appropriately, <laughs> um, and giving the, the new man all the freedom he needs to, to make the right decisions about the future. Well, you're, you're certainly in our prayers now. And, Thank you. And we'll continue Appreciate to be. That. Has any talk happened, or is it typical or atypical, perhaps, um, for you to serve in an advisory capacity to... Well, I'm available, uh, but I'm, I'm going to be kind of... I'm going to try to be invisible for about six months so that people are not... Uh, I'm not going to occupy, occupy the same space with the Archbishop very much so that people focus on him. And, you know, I, truth, truthfully, and I don't mean this in a, a pseudo-spiritual uh, way, but I need to decrease and he needs to increase... And if I hang around in the public, it's, I'm, I get in the way. So, I mean, he's been very kind to me, and he wants me to be around and tells me he wants my advice, but uh, he's going to have to find me if he wants my advice. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be hiding, but sure. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to stay here, but I'm not going to be publicly involved very much. 
there were rumors, and maybe they're not rumors, maybe, I don't know if you can confirm this, um, that you anticipate on staying at St. Edmund's Home for Children. I am living there. I, mean, I haven't lived there yet, but we're uh, repainting the place and uh, preparing it for my occupation uh, on the 18th of February. Now, does I, go, I, I go to the cathedral from here at the seminary and get in my car after Mass and go to St. Edmund's Home. That's where I'll be living. Now, do you still have a driver at that point? No. No? No. Father, Father Marconi has I, been... I have. He's been a wonderful pre-secretary. I've had four wonderful pre-secretaries in Philadelphia. Really, they've all been very good. Father Marconi, of course, is responsible for the transition. Right now, he, he serves two masters. We joke about that. And <laughs> he has to love one and hate the other, according to Jesus. So, Archbishop Paris and I are vying for the which one he, he loves, you know. But I will be living in St. Edmund's home. I, people think I'm going to be chaplain there. I'm not going to be chaplain there. I'm just going to be in residence. We've used the former chaplain's quarter as a residence for auxiliary bishops over the last 30 years or so. Mm-hmm. And it was empty. And uh, I, they were looking for a space for me. And uh, it was just a convenient place for me to go. Now, I'm sure I'll be related to this, the, the programs that we have there. But I'm not going there as chaplain. I'm just occupying, buying the chaplain space. You know, there was a group of religious sisters who had that St. Nimbus home for many years, and they had a priest chaplain. But since the sisters left, we haven't had a chaplain there. Was Bishop McGinnis living there? He was until he uh, began to, you know, experience a greater frailty because of his age and illness. And now he's living at our villa. Uh, But I'm I'm occupying the space that he had for many years. Certainly. Now, I know that you said you uh, haven't decided yet what your plans are for your retirement, uh, and, and I respect that. Uh, but if you'll indulge my curiosity, and maybe, maybe uh, something might inspire you, um, do you, would you think you might travel at all? Or, uh, oh, I'm sure I'll travel some. Do you you have know, I may go to the Holy Land for a month or so. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure really what I'm going to do, but... Uh, I just, I don't want to make commitments because sure. that's precisely doing what I'm trying to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, in that case, we will uh, anticipate. I'm the, writing a book. The fruits. Oh, oh wonderful. I was just I Can was we just ask about the topic? That. Yeah. Well, it's called uh, Things to Die For. Um, the topic, the book is, is uh, the, the name of a book is given by the publisher rather than the author. So I don't know if it's going to survive. Mm-hmm. But they asked me to do reflections on my experience as a bishop over 30 years, and what are the things that are most important for Catholics? It's not a biography in any sense of the word, autobiography. It's just a, a series of reflections on what are the topics that Catholics ought to be concerned about today. And uh, the publisher was the one who asked me to do it. I swore I wouldn't write another book, and here I am. <laughs> but I'm sure this will be the last one. Although, having said that, uh, uh, the, just recently another publisher said they have a book idea for me and and they'd like to talk to me about it as soon as I retire. <laughs> um, so I'll listen to them, but I can't imagine I'm going to say yes. Well, I've read your books in the past and I've always been in, in, impressed with them. So I look forward to this new one and, and maybe another. Okay, I'm a pretty good cook. I'm going to be cooking my new <laughs> oh, home. Good. Actually, that's what I'm looking forward to doing. Can you imagine this? I'm looking forward to getting up in the morning, cooking my own breakfast, making some soup for lunch. <laughs> And then reading a lot and actually listening to the radio. I, I love to listen to some talk shows. And uh, and I love movies, so I'm going to go to some movies, you know, and um, read a lot. This sounds like my dream life. That's all, that's <laughs> all I ever want to It do. has been my dream life, and I haven't been able to live it. So. <laughs> but I, I, re- I mentioned cooking because I find it very relaxing. 
and I'm looking forward to cooking. Is is there a particular uh, style or, or um, nationality? I, I, of cooking I haven't actually ever baked anything, so I'm not a baker, and I've never fixed Chinese food, although it's my favorite food food category. <laughs> um, but I can cook Italian, French, Spanish. Uh, wow, American. I I'm a pretty good chef. You know, what happened, you know, I don't know if you want to listen to this kind of stuff, but when I was uh, uh, a Capuchin uh, superior of a local community, the brother who was a cook went on a sabbatical. We all agreed to take turns cooking for the six months that he was away, or maybe it was three months. After about two weeks, it was a disaster because some people just couldn't <laughs> cook at all. So I was superior of the house and said, I'll start cooking. So I cooked for three months or six months almost every day for a group of uh, 12 or 15 people. And I enjoyed it, and I actually found that cooking, if you can read a book, you can cook. And uh, so I started enjoying it then, and I, I still like to do it now. haven't done very much since I've come to Philadelphia because of my schedule, but I'm looking forward to leading an ordinary life, doing my own uh, laundry, um, driving my own car, <laughs> not being the center of attention. So I'm looking forward to it. I hope, hope I'll feel this way in six months, too. <laughs> Otherwise, you may have to come and cook for me. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind that at all. Uh, well, we know you've had a, a very busy schedule leading up to your retirement, and so we're very flattered that you would take some time out of your day to uh, speak to us, lowly seminarians. Uh, well, know. seminarians aren't lowly. You know, like, nobody's lowly, actually. We're all pretty much the same. It doesn't seem so long ago that I was a seminarian, mm. even though it is, you know, it's more than 50 years ago, oh, nearly 50 years ago that I, well... Yeah, fifty. It'd be fifty years in in July. Actually, I do have one last question. I'll go for it. Um, so, when you came to Philadelphia from Denver, uh, you brought with you uh, an order of nuns, and um, I believe uh, s- several consecrated virgins who um, they they make promises to you. Is that correct? Or well, first of all, um, the religious sisters of mercy of Alma, Michigan. We're teaching in our seminary in Denver and also taking care of my household. And when I came here, they they found out I didn't have sisters helping with my household. So I didn't bring them with me. Okay. They actually sent other sisters from their community to be here. They sent two initially, but their community is eight now. And, you know, they have two doctor, medical doctors among them, a seminary professor, the uh, delegate for religious life for the archdiocese, and some students who are studying at Villanova. And so they've been wonderful companions. You know, I, we pray together every morning and have breakfast together. And they've been just wonderful friends and supporters through the years. Also, my personal secretary is a consecrated virgin who's been my secretary for 25 years. And she went from Rapid City to Denver and Denver here. Uh, the uh, consecrated virgin makes vows to God, not to a bishop. But they're kind of the equivalent of uh, Dawson priests in the sense that, you know, like, Nuns belong to religious orders. Consecrated virgins belong to a diocese, mm. but uh, and they but they live in the world. You know, they dress like everybody else, but they they make promises of of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And my secretary has been extraordinarily helpful. You know, she kind of triples my work because she knows me, and she's available. You know, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week for the work of the church. So it's really been a, a great blessing. Someone else also came with me from Denver. His name is Fran Mayer. Uh, Fran has been my, um, more or less my executive assistant for the last uh, 14 years in Denver and eight years here is what, 22 years. So he's been with me for 22 years. 
Before that, he was uh, editor for a Catholic newspaper, um, and he also wrote scripts for Hollywood. You know, he's, he was a scriptwriter. And so he's really been uh, like my other self in terms of helping me with my talks and, and uh, the books and everything else. So Fran has been a really big part of my ministry. So the three of us really are like the three musketeers. We're a team. Um, Fran's uh, retiring as I retire. He's just a few years younger than I am. He has a daughter who lived here before he moved here. So he and his wife bought a um, house here in Philadelphia. So this is their home. And Carrie, my secretary, um, has a younger brother who's lived here for many, many years. And uh, they're really close. And so she's also staying here. I think she'll be, you know, uh, retired bishops have a right by church law to a, a secretary from uh, from the diocese. And Carrie will be a part-time secretary for me and will help out um, Archbishop Nelson as he wants her to. Wonderful. Well, Archbishop, thank you so much for volunteering your time to, to speak with us. Um, it's always a joy when we get uh, to spend any time with you, but uh, it's it's a particular privilege to be able to interview you and to um, to hear your thoughts on all of these Thanks things. Thanks so much, Eric. And when are you going to trim your beard? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I anticipated <laughs> something about that. I um, couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. <laughs> it's, it's my slice of humble pie for the day. <laughs> Aaron, thank you too for oh, your your constant presence in this kind of context. And it's really great to see both of you. Keep thank at you it. Much. Well, thank, thank you, you very much. Thank pleasure. you. Thanks so much for joining us. You've been listening to Sem Casual Podcast. My name is Eric Tamney. And I'd like to encourage you that if you have any feedback or questions, please send us an email via semcasualpodcast at scs.edu. That's semcasualpodcast at scs.edu. Uh, we're still in the market for some good names for our new segment um, here at Sem Casual. The overarching umbrella name for the podcast is Sem Casual Podcast, but we'd, we'd like an exciting title uh, for the show. Uh, so we, we're looking for suggestions and any feedback you guys might have there. Uh, if you want, you can find all of our content at semcasual.org. Uh, that's the seminarian blog uh, where articles are written by priests and seminarians. Uh, and at the top right uh, corner of the screen, you can find the podcast tab um, where you can find all of our archived files. Uh, or if you want, you can head directly to SoundCloud where you go to soundcloud.com forward slash podcast. That's S-E-M-C-A-S-U-A-L podcast. Thanks again so much for joining us. My name is Eric Tamney, and until next time, God bless.